0: Hi, I'm Brett Turfstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for October has been provided by Joyent, the only cloud service that's purpose-built to power today's real-time web and mobile applications. Joyant offers the most cost-effective public and hybrid cloud solutions available today. Here at 5x5, we host all of our web and app servers in the Joyent cloud, so we highly recommend you check them out and sign up for a free trial at Joyant.com. Today's episode is brought to you by text Expander from Smile. It's one of my all-time favorite Mac utilities, and I use it to expand short abbreviations into full snippets of text that I've defined. But that's just the beginning. It, you can use text Expander to trigger Apple scripts and Shell scripts, which is something I personally use a lot. I have quite a few free snippet groups available on my site that you should check out at bretturpshire.com te. TextExpander also has fill-in snippets, which let you set variables in a snippet that you fill in on the fly. You can have text fields, pop-up menus, and option selections, and that makes it really easy to automate a lot of the tedious work that goes into answering emails or other repetitive typing tasks. TextExpander is also available for iOS as TextExpander Touch. Because of the limitations of iOS, it doesn't work in the background like it does on the Mac, But the developers at Smile have created an SDK so that other apps can integrate TextExpander support. There are over 140 apps that have TextExpander support, including most of the leading iOS text editing apps. I've even created a snippet group for Markdown that you can use with TextExpander Touch. TextExpander is $34.95, but systematic listeners can get 20% off of full licenses with the coupon code SYSTEMATIC. The discount applies to Family Packs and Office Packs, but does not apply to upgrades. Hey, my guest this week is Justin Williams. He's a software developer who makes some beautiful apps, including Elements 2 on iOS and Committed on the Mac, and he's just updated a running list that he keeps of top hardware and software that he uses for work and probably for play, Um, so I thought we'd talk about some of his favorites, and this episode is actually going to be a, a top three segment gone wild. Uh, all top picks all the time. How's it going, Justin? It's good. How are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm super tired. You can probably tell by the way I stumbled through the first ad read. Um, I, I went to bed way too late and got up ungodly early to drive my wife to the airport so that she could be gone for two weeks and then
1: home for three days
0: and then gone for two weeks.
1: It's going to be a rough month. I'm going to keep you entertained while she's gone, though. I'm going to get you excited with a ton of different software and hardware you can just keep yourself busy with over the next couple of days.
0: That is actually my favorite thing to do, so this will be good. How about uh, how about we start with some hardware talk?
1: Yeah, so, so let me give you a little background on the list first. So the reason I started doing this list back in 2009, and it was just kind of – I saw that there was this there was a Windows developer named Scott Hanselman, and he did this list of and it was basically listing everything that he uses as his as part of his kind of day job as like a blogger, a software developer for Microsoft, a podcaster and all this stuff that he uses and the tools that he uses to accomplish that, whether it's just like high level tools uh really super power level tools and then hardware. And so I did the list because there was not one for the Mac. And I thought, well, this would be an interesting thing to do where like maybe if I put my list out, then maybe the Brett Terpsters of the world would put their list out or someone else would put their list out. But what actually happened was people kind of looked at my list as it gets a lot of traffic each year. And I don't, I won't say it's like the de facto list, but it is, it amazes me how much traction it gets each year. So each year f- for the past five years, I've done this update for it. And it's kind of just, it's, it's interesting. If you go back and you, if you look at the links for it from before, it's just interesting to see like what software gets added or removed or what hardware I'm using between each one. Because each year I'm, I'm astounded at how much I actually do change in the list. There are always those like staples that will stay there. Uh, long term, but in terms of the software, it's I'm o- I'm always adding and removing stuff every 365 days. You should just run a uh, diff every year
0: after you finish writing it and post uh, post a patch as a separate link so that people can just
1: see what's new. Just see what's new. Actually, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think because I run my blog on Jekyll, so it's all up on GitHub. I was trying to think, but they are two different posts. I could do that though. Yeah, I mean you could do it locally, but anyway, uh, people do love
0: lists. If, if they trust a blogger at all, they love reading what they're using and they love it in list form. I don't know why, but those are always high
1: traffic posts. Definitely. Yeah. So hardware. So I break down what hardware I use in terms of like the Mac stuff, as well as kind of the audio stuff. So instance, what actual audio hardware am I using to talk to you right now? And on the hardware side, I'm, I'm one of those guys that has two computers still. I, it seems like the past couple of years, there's been this trend of people kind of just saying, well, I'll just have a laptop or I'll have a desktop because I don't want to sync stuff. Uh, I've tried that many times and every time I end up being frustrated by something. So what I do is I say that I have a uh, daily driver of my 27 uh, inch iMac that I bought, oh, I get, I think we're approaching the fourth year, like three or four years ago. And it is a beast, but it does nearly everything that I could ever want from it. And it's never seems to slow down. I there are a few things that I don't love about this machine internally. It is—it's amazing. I, I've, I've, that's the one type of Mac that I've never owned—is the iMac. I yeah, this was my first iMac too. So I so what happened was when I was in college, I uh, I always had this thing where I wanted to—I would always go on like the Apple website and I would add like you know you'd go to like price us something. You're like I want to see how much money I could spend if I say yes to every single option on like an iMac or a laptop or whatever it is. And so uh, I said after I shipped Elements, I was like, well, this was a relatively successful app. I'm kind of tired of writing everything on this little laptop. I'm going to actually do this. I'm going to fill out every option and say yes to it, and then I'm going to buy the computer. And it ended up being like five grand or something. But now that I'm on my fourth year of using this computer and it doesn't seem to slow down whatsoever, it's a really good investment because I've got like a 256 gig SSD on there, which has like the main system stuff. Uh, there's a two terabyte spinning disc in there, which I kind of archive like old movies and photos and all the stuff that I don't necessarily need quick access to uh, 16 gigs of Ram, which at the time was especially ridiculous. now where it seems like everyone kind of wants eight, it's not as ridiculous, but I'd still run into, I still haven't run into any issues with like hitting that 16 gig max, even if I've got so many different apps open.
0: Well, the, the combination of an SSD and 16 gigs of RAM would be a pretty powerful system, even on an older machine.
1: Yeah. And it's one of those things too, where it's like, Oh, I'm like, I'm I've been thinking of my stuff. I'm like, man, this machine is like four years old. It's, it looks like an old machine. I kind of want a new one, but this thing isn't slowing down and Mavericks is so great on it. It's like the only real incentive I have to buy a new one is if, because I want one that's a lot thinner and I can't necessarily say I, can, I don't really want to justify spending five grand just because I want a better looking machine. It's, <laughs> And yep. I, I I still love this thing. It's great. The one thing I will mention, since I do have the two hundred fifty six gig SSD and the the spinning disk drive in there as well, is uh, you you saw probably a couple months ago where after the uh, Fusion drives came out, there was a bunch of articles about how to uh, do core storage volumes on your existing computers. Yep. Uh, so I tried to do that on this, and it was not an enjoyable experience whatsoever. I don't know if fusion drives or core storage volumes or whatever you want to call them are uh, more performant on machines that are designed to use them. I can't imagine why. It seems like to me, it just seems like it's the same software underneath and the same hardware inside. But it that thing really slowed down the computer in terms of like taking forever to launch stuff, taking forever to restart from uh, so, like a fresh reboot. So when when I upgraded to Mavericks, I basically. I, I, was give, I was given the gift, quote unquote, my install went bad. Uh, and I went <laughs> back install. to the. I went back and I did a clean install and I went back to having two separate drives and the thing is flying again. So the, your mileage may vary if you try the core storage stuff. I was not a fan of it though.
0: The exact same thing happened to me. I have a five year old Mac Pro that I use and um, I wanted SSD because it, it was starting to show its age and I believed that, that SSD would speed it up. And it did tremendously. It's like a brand new machine. But I I got the SSD about a month before the Fusion Drive was announced. So as soon as that came out, I decided to port the system from using two different drives to a Fusion Drive and had a horrible
1: experience with it, much along the lines of yours. Oh, good. Because every time I would complain about this on Twitter, everyone's like, oh, it works great for me. So I thought it was just my hardware. So it's good to know that I'm not the only one that was running into this. We could have the same hardware issues, but yeah. Yeah, so that's my main computer. The the one that I'm actually talking to you on now from my house is a 15-inch uh, Retina MacBook Pro. Uh, and this is the first one that came out, I guess, last summer. And it's got a 512 SSD. I refuse to ever go back to spinning disk. And then it's got eight gigs of RAM. And I really like this machine. It's my favorite portable that Apple's ever made. My only kind of qualm with it, and this gets back to my reasons to have a separate computer, is there's not nearly enough screen real estate for me as someone that's like open in xcode at all times like it's it's possible I could get used to it someday but I don't want to especially when I can go to my office and basically zoom out xcode or anything I'm working in as big as I want and have all this space. I don't run this I run this thing at the native retina resolution. I've tried to do it at the other ones and it doesn't necessarily gel well with my uh, half blind eyes. <laughs> Uh, and then there's there's a couple other issues with like, uh, so I run VMware Fusion because I have to do a little bit of stuff with Windows and running Fusion, even with Windows 8.1 on a Retina screen, i found to be really frustrating, whereas uh, it runs like a champ on my Mac or on my iMac with the SSD just Is because.
0: Is Fusion's fault or Windows'
1: fault? Um, I'm blaming Windows. And it's basically because like, so for instance, let's say I open Visual Studio in Fusion and it's going to only have that fourteen forty by nine hundred resolution, but then it kind of have, it halves that out because it doesn't necessarily understand the retina stuff. So, it, for all intents and purposes, it looks like I'm trying to run Visual Studio on like what it looks like eight hundred by six hundred resolution, and this isn't nineteen ninety seven. It's really hard to write code in these IDEs that have like all these different, like sliding in and out panels and all that, yeah. and then have this like tiny little square where you're actually writing the code. Matt Xcode
0: so. Xcode on a 13 inch MacBook air, which is what I code on half the time. Once you get uh, both like the three panel view, it is seriously like you have 60 character width to work in.
1: Oh yeah. And it, so yeah. And you, so you're primarily a Mac guy, right? Like Mac developer.
0: I have. Do you do- I have uh, eschewed Windows entirely. Okay, but do you do any iOS stuff? I I do. Uh, I haven't published anything, but yes.
1: Okay, so if you so on your 13-inch MacBook, uh, what you should do is you should create a new storyboard in Xcode and then open up all three panels and then see <laughs> how much work you can actually get done working in a storyboard with more than like one or two actual uh, file like view controllers in there. It is. It's one of the more frustrating things, especially with a smaller screen. And then it's like, well, there's no way I can ever go to like a laptop only thing until I can get something that's way higher resolution and still kind of gels with me being able to see what I'm doing because I, I can't, I don't want to trade off having more screen real estate with uh, having more headaches. It's not worth it to me. I understand. I understand entirely. But I mean, the thing with uh, the, it's not that big a deal, I don't think, to have two computers anymore because we all have Dropbox. Like, Dropbox is awesome. That
0: was the first thing in your post that I marked to talk about. You you, you sim link your documents, downloads, movies, and sites folders uh, into Dropbox or in Dropbox and then back out to your drive. Have you run into any, like, conflict issues
1: or any kind of sync problems? Um, Not really. So my, da- my documents folder is relatively static. Uh, my movies and sites folders are as well. Uh downloads I haven't run in the only with like maybe some like several gigabyte. Like I tried to download a Windows 7 ISO the other day and it was kind of flaky doing it between two different machines. But for the most part, anything that's not like ridiculously huge, it's a really great benefit because I download it once and then when I if I download it at home, by the time I get to my office, which is like a 15 minute walk for me, uh the same stuff is already downloaded in my downloads folder there as well, because I have a sim link there uh, i can 't sim link the uh, the desktop, so what I do is on my desktop, I actually have a folder called shared desktop and it just sim links back to a folder on my Dropbox and anything that I want to make sure that I have on both computers, I just share it in there. But the only thing that i 've ever really run into with like conflicts with uh, Dropbox stuff is uh, i have a I have an archive on Dropbox called like Second Gear Completed Projects, and every now and then. Like, I'll go through and, like, do a Git update on a project that maybe I'm not necessarily on anymore, but I want to keep updates on. And sometimes that'll get flaked out, and I'll have to, like, pull a fresh copy because it's just filled with conflicted copies. because right, like, the all the way is- down the, the dot .git folder. Yeah, so, yeah. like, Git and Dropbox is kind of a really painful thing to deal with. But 95% of the stuff that I'm doing on there, it's, it's a breeze. It's great. We, we, we thus far have a ton in common i i sim
0: link i'm a little more selective i i hire farther down the hi- file hierarchy i can talk uh i'll i'll sim link specific folders but i know at least one person who has sim their entire home folder that and, see that's my ultimate goal well
1: i would love to be able to do that so we are both very mac specific but i do dabble a little bit in windows like i have a i have a touchscreen Acer Windows 8.1 PC. And the integration that those guys do with SkyDrive, which is kind of their Dropbox clone, uh, it allows you basically to have your home folder on SkyDrive. And that is something that I would... Like when you heard those stories a couple years ago where like jobs brought in like, uh, the guys that made Dropbox and tried to buy them. Like yeah. I, I really wish that would have happened and that like Dropbox could have become like the shared sync folder between all of your Macs and have it like integrated natively into OS X because iCloud is just not enjoyable to use and it's more frustrating than anything. But yeah, my ultimate goal would be to be able to sim link my entire home folder on Dropbox and have it just work magically, but we're not there yet. And I don't necessarily. I don't have that many issues with it kind of like hit, I don't hit that many pain points with it. So it's not as big a deal anymore.
0: So, okay. So you've got, you've got Dropbox for syncing, but you also use GitHub and in your post, you say for storing all of your code. Is that all of your code?
1: Um, All of my active code. So GitHub is, uh, I, I'm not a cheap person. Like I usually, I will pay for a service as I use it because it's like, I want to support the guys. And so I pay for a GitHub account, but as someone that's done this software development stuff for like seven or so years at this point, uh, you've got a lot of legacy projects that maybe aren't actively updated anymore, and you don't necessarily want to pay for storing them every single month if you're not actually developing them and GitHub's pricing model makes would make it where I would be spending several hundred dollars a month, it would seem like just to like have like a code archive of my past seven years. yeah so once a project has been like end of life, so for instance, I built a Mac app uh, called Today back in like the late 2000s. Uh, I no longer work on it anymore. So once I was pretty much assured that, all right, this product is into life or I finish a contract job, if I work up for, like I did a lot of iOS 7 contract updates this summer to kind of just bide the time and because people needed updates. Like once these projects are done, I don't necessarily need them on, GitHub, on my GitHub account anymore. So I'll just archive the code itself to Dropbox and then it's going to be up on Dropbox's site. It's going to be on all of my Macs. Uh, it'll be backed up to Backblaze as well, which I use for my backups. So, anything that's active code is all on GitHub. Anything that's kind of like legacy or archive stuff, I either I just back it up into Dropbox. Interesting. I
0: I I use a free GitHub account for because I do the same thing and and try to trim my number of repositories. I wish GitHub had more of a size limit than a repository limit. Yeah. Um, because a Git folder can get pretty big. Uh, you know and that would force people to prune their folders more often but this is probably getting way too technical uh for everybody but one question do you when you archive a project do you maintain the commit history or do you export just the code ah uh, yeah i maintain the entire
1: commit history okay. it's basically so basically if for some reason i need to go back and like i know that i wrote code for something but it's not in the shipping version i can kind of jump back in there and find it I think I've done that maybe once in my entire life, but the comfort to know that I can is yeah, assuring. Exactly. And since I mean tools make it easier to kind of jump through and find that stuff at this point. Oh, absolutely. I want to talk about click keyboards.
0: Oh yeah. You you used to used to not like click keyboards.
1: Yeah. I I didn't like them when it was like when whenever you hear like the you don't have an Apple II keyboard, do you? I do not. Okay, I don't like when they, these guys are like saying that they're using like this old Apple II keyboard yeah. with like this USB to ADB or whatever connection ad- adapter, and like it's the same keyboard they've used since 1986. It's like it's it was like partially a hipster it was, thing at this. Point. It was like it was a total hipster thing. It was partially an aesthetics thing because these keyboard. It looked like these keyboards look disgusting. Like they're just covered in like just like finger grease and Grunge. like coffee stains and just hair and. Like, I never understood that. Then the DOS keyboard came out with their Mac version, and I was uh, working at a startup at the time, and I was like, and one of the guys there was like, he said that he loved his DOS keyboard, and I, I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. It's like 100 bucks or whatever it was. I'm, We'll see if I like it, because I wasn't a big fan of the small, I, w- I wasn't a fan of the smaller Bluetooth keyboard that Apple was shipping at this point. I was I'm way more I was way more of a fan of the full one with like the actual number pad like I for some reason I always want to have a number pad on my keyboard because it I guess just because I've been doing this for so long I'll, and so I'll I admit that I miss mine yeah I mean it's it, whenever you're typing in like numbers or whatever just like working in like software or something it's great mm-hmm, absolutely. so I bought this DOS keyboard and I'm like well let's see what this works because Apple's not shipping their USB keyboard anymore uh, let's see what they do and I actually I really like this keyboard it's there's the satisfying typing uh, feeling of typing with the loud stuff. There's the the passive aggressive uh, feeling that you know you're annoying someone that hates these keyboards. <laughs> but overall, it's just it. I feel like I type faster on that than I was uh, using like the small Bluetooth keyboard. Okay, so so here's
0: my issue. I actually I own uh uh, Matthias, uh What are they? Uh, Matthias. It was their second gen. Mm -hmm. Uh, click keyboard i have a dos keyboard i have a a elite hacker and i have a mini so i keep buying them like you know (laughs) a hundred bucks a pop and and because i want to i want to like using something other than my little bluetooth apple keyboard but i keep coming back to it I, i i eventually about six months ago gave up on the keyboard quest because i realized
1: i really love and I loved the full width Apple one with the flat keys too. Yeah. See that one, the other benefit that I liked on those was the, the, the USB ports on them. Like that's yeah. actually ridiculously useful. It really is. And the DOS keyboard has, has two, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're like full USB powered ones. You can't, it complains if you try to charge an iPad, but anything else that I haven't run into an issue of it complaining about.
0: So what kills me is the position of function, control, option, shift, and command. I have a a serious muscle memory built up around those keys. Uh and, And on my Bluetooth keyboard, they mirror what's on my MacBook Air. And so I can transfer between the two keyboards without having to change muscle memory. The DOS keyboard moves the function key all the way to the other side, to the other hand. Yeah, and I ran the into this too. Yeah. lower the three lower corner keys, which I actually use as key combos for a lot of hotkeys are so uh, suddenly no longer accessible. And I could never that was the main hump that I couldn't get over.
1: Yeah, that one. So I ran into that, too, and I kind of just I I fought through it. I don't I probably don't use nearly as many keyboard combos as you do because I'm not nobody does. Like beyond just like command C, command X and command V, I can, ne- I've never gotten, to th- I've never been one of those people that memorizes all these things. i have just, or, and command sh- tab. Those you, know are what, kind of the, you know what did it to me? It was TextMate. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, see. So I, yeah, I use sublime text and I have no idea what any of those keyboard shortcuts you just cuts command, are. Shift P everything. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I don't even know what I type <laughs> at this point. Yeah, like I have, I, there's some of them where it's like I'd have the muscle memory on them. But if like, you know, if you like uh, somebody ask you your garage code and you can't remember it, but you could type it instantly. You have
0: a code on your garage. Yeah, I just have a button.
1: Well, like on the outside, you can like have the like panel where you can like open the garage from the outside if you have the code. When I was a
0: kid, only the richest people in the biggest houses had those.
1: Oh, well, it's 2013. Those are on every new garage. It's now. what I know. Dang.
0: Okay. Well, I have a house from the seventies, so. Eh. How
1: do you feel about mice?
0: I I used to be a, a hardcore. I own five of these, uh, the MX, uh, from Logitech. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, is I, that the one
1: that had like seven buttons on it? Yeah,
0: it had had two. The two left left and right click. Then it had a scroll wheel that could also be clicked. Then it had a, a thumb scroll wheel that could also be clicked. And then it had forward and backward buttons above the thumb scroll wheel. And I, I, it was the same as my keyboard. I had it just, I had shortcuts assigned to everything.
1: Oh yeah, I used to have that mouse. I loved that thing. They were
0: great, but then I got a magic trackpad and I became a fan of gestures over buttons. And now I use only a magic trackpad, which leads me to my next question. You use it left-handed. Are you right or left-handed?
1: I'm a right-handed guy. So I use the mouse in the right hand and I use the trackpad on the left hand. Do you find that really easy? Yeah, so so how I do it is most any, I would say seventy five percent of the stuff I do with the uh, mouse. But then if I want to swipe between like um, screens over to like my dashboard or to like swipe up for Mission Control or whatever, uh, I can do that on the trackpad. Uh, I I, the uh, I use a Razer Mamba mouse and I uh, I have some buttons wired to that for uh, Mission Control and then scrolling. It doesn't have nearly as many buttons as that. uh, I think it was the Revolution MX Logitech I had. But they Logitech changed that mouse in the past couple iterations to do just way more stuff than I necessarily wanted. And so I, I got into this thing, like I got into a kick where I was playing Quake 4 a couple of years ago with... Uh, a couple friends when I was working at an office. And so I'm like, I can't play this on. And I I was only taking my laptop into work and I had like a magic trackpad and like my laptop thing. And I was like, I can't deal with this. I need to buy another mouse. So I bought like a gaming mouse because if you're going to play Quake four, you need to have a gaming mouse. So that's how I ended up with the uh, razor. And then I liked it so much. I bought uh, another one to keep at home.
0: I used to play doom with just my keyboard. Oh, hardcore. I, I don't think I've played anything since doom.
1: Oh, it was a total nostalgia play. It was like two weeks where we were obsessed with like playing these old games you used to play at LAN parties, and then it was like, well, we're done. This was fun. But hey, I got a nice mouse out of it.
0: Nice. Okay, so when I picture you at your computer, I see a uh, conductor conducting a symphony with your hands flying left and right.
1: Everyone that looks at this, they think I'm insane because they're like, wait, you have two input devices? I was like, yeah, you got two hands. Why can't you You use two hands to type on the keyboard? Why not use two for an input device? And it actually... I think it worked you you have to you can't use them like equally like you have i maybe someone can but most of the time i i want to do like more precision stuff and i'm way quicker with the mouse uh and but just like swiping between stuff and doing like all the gesture heavy stuff that's been added to OS10 it makes it a lot more difficult to be kind of mouse only and And as someone that uses a laptop at home, it's like I am used to using all these gestures. So I want to be able to use those on my big iMac as well. But I don't want to give up the convenience of having a mouse for like precision text selection and uh, having those buttons wired to like do specific things. Define precision text selection for me. Uh, If you have to edit this podcast, I've tried to do that with just a trackpad and it drives me nuts. Like doing any sort of like audio selection or. I'm way more comfortable like selecting text in Xcode just like if I want to like select a specific like character I find that I'm just way more comfortable doing it with the mouse than I am with the trackpad.
0: I I can understand that. I think the trackpad is forcing me to become even more keyboard centric because I can just type option shift yeah arrow and select what I need. Yeah, but, but.
1: then like the tra- the other trade-off too with the mouse is like like, I, what, what was it? Mountain Lion? Was that, yeah, the back to the Mac one where they added the momentum scrolling to the mm-hmm. OS ten Like, I can't, I have to scroll using the trackpad because, like, scrolling with the wheel now has a completely different feel than the trackpad. Oh, yeah. And since I use, I do a lot of my browsing at home with my laptop, uh, I want that same feeling and, like, that bounciness whenever I'm at my iMac as well. So I do, I do anything swipe and scroll based is all on that trackpad. Anything like selection based or click based is all uh, on the mouse. That makes sense. Apple
0: has really, really, uh, OS 10 is designed for gestures and trackpads. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to take a sponsor break. I'm a little late starting this. Um, and then we'll skip into some software talk. All right. So our, what are we on? So yeah. Our second sponsor today is hostgator.com, a premier web hosting provider. If you're looking to start a website, HostGator can help you get started uh, with monthly hosting plans, one-click installs, and tons of other features that make getting your site up and running easy. If you're a more advanced user or a business, HostGator can take care of you with reseller plans, VPS, and dedicated servers. HostGator guarantees 99.9% uptime no matter your size or needs. And if you're a WordPress user, you're going to love their one-click installs and optimized hosting platform. When you host with HostGator, you get unlimited disk space and bandwidth. They have free site builder tools that are easy. Yeah, first first stutter of the day. I added it out, all the previous ones. Anyway, uh, they have free site builder tools that are super easy to use, but if you find yourself needing any help, they have 24-7 support to ensure everything is running smoothly. So head on over to HostGator.com to learn more. And when you decide to purchase, don't forget to use the coupon code DANSENTME10 and get 30 percent off of everything at hostgator.com. All right. All right, software. So your software list is long. i did uh I did highlight a few that I highly agree with and a few that I wanted to hear your your opinion on. Uh, the first thing on your list is Dash, and i I absolutely agree with that. It is probably one of the few apps that runs constantly on my machine.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. So I break. So, yeah, the software list is massive. So I break it into I think I have it in three different setups. Uh, I have what is called the essential five, which is like if you're just looking at this list and you're looking for five things to download, these are the five things that I cannot live without on any Mac that I install. Uh, then I have the developer tools list, which is like all the stuff I do, all my nerdy Android, iOS, Mac, whatever development with, and then user tools, which is kind of like for the more power user guys that don't necessarily hang out in Xcode or Android studio all day, but they use crazy stuff, crazy fun stuff like text expander, or they host on hostgator and want to like edit their WordPress site or whatever it is. But yeah, dash is awesome. I am a recent convert to Dash. So if you look at the list, uh, anything that's in bold is something that I've started using this year. So it's something that wasn't in previous year's uh, list, and it's added to a new one. Dash, I started using a couple months ago because I finally got really frustrated with uh, Xcode's documentation viewer in <laughs> Xcode 4. It was like documentation is one of the – it's a little thing. But one, the viewer was very slow. Extremely and what, slow. But the other issue was, like, documentation is one of those things where I want to command tab into it. I don't want to command tilde into it. That sounds really pedantic and subtle, but it makes the whole world of difference if you can like jump from one app to another like jump from xcode to an actual dedicated documentation viewer app or have them up side by side and easily like use the same muscle memory getting back to muscle memory again getting to the use that same muscle memory to jump between those windows so that's one of the big benefits of dash for me is it's an actual dedicated application for searching documentation but then the other thing i really love about it is that it supports more than just uh, OS 10 and iOS, uh, system documentation. Like I have Android stuff in there. I've got some Ruby stuff in there, some Python stuff. It imports all these documentation sets from different uh, languages and you can either search all of them at once or filter it. So say only show me uh, documentation related to something in iOS 6.1, or only show me documentation related to, uh, I- iOS seven only. That's stuff like that has made it a really well, well worth the investment. I paid for it. I don't even remember how much I paid for it, but it's worth probably more than the guys charging for it. It's one of those things where it's
0: so good that I just, (laughs) you don't think you don't think twice I'd pay for it again myself.
1: I would, I would pay $50 for this thing, but this, this is my day job. So it's like something that I use several times a day. So it's worth every penny to me.
0: Have you gotten into, I I forget what he calls them. Um, but they're groups of, of doc sets that you can assign a keyword
1: to no, but I should I didn't even know you could do that
0: yeah I just I, I used it for a couple months before I found this so I can type like Mac mm-hmm. and it'll it'll load up uh, just the uh, Mac colon will load up uh, just the Xcode doc sets for the last two versions. Uh, oh, but if nice. I type web colon, it'll load up uh, Ruby it'll load up html5 CSS3. Uh every everything that I would need for web development and it'll narrow just down to those doc sets. And you can define those and it's it's a great tool.
1: Oh it looks like yeah, it looks like you can do that in the doc sets preferences. It looks like it defaults great. to like Mac OS uh mac OS X colon and then iPhone OS colon Yo, Oh, that, No, those awesome. are shor-
0: those are shortcuts for individual doc sets. Oh, you can like, you can do more. Right. Exactly. You can
1: build and I'm trying to figure out where the option is. Um, but, but it doesn't look like those uh, settings are uh, unique. Like it looks like I can set iPhone OS to like three different doc sets.
0: Yeah, you can. Um, I wish I could remember. We'll
1: figure it out and throw it in show notes. Yeah. But I have
0: some great ones set up and like web anytime I'm in sublime text three. It'll automatically, when I pop up dash, it'll automatically jump to the web group by default because that's where I do most of my web development. So you can assign different sets to different applications and it'll switch based on foreground app. Oh, nice. Oh, it's, it's intense. And I don't even use the snippet functionality, but it has, entire, yeah, it has full like code storage and snippet insertion.
1: Yeah, yeah. The the one thing I I use an Xcode plugin too for it. So if yes. you like, uh, I, I think it's Option Click on a method name in Xcode. Yep. It'll usually like put up this little popover that'll then off, offer to like open up in the uh, Xcode documentation viewer. There's a. Uh, there's a plugin on GitHub though that you can basically tell uh Xcode that any time that you click on those uh things with the option click, it should open it up and search for it in Dash. And that once I enabled that, that's when like using Dash as my full time documentation viewer super clicked because like it's really hard to me for me to go back to using something else at this point. It's an amazing tool. Absolutely. I, I pimp it on Twitter regularly. All right. So
0: uh, the rest of your top five are all, I highly agree, with Dropbox, OmniFocus, Sublime Text 3, and Xscope. I especially liked what you said about Sublime Text 3. Uh, you said it's not the prettiest girl at the dance, uh, but the ability to customize the interface and... Ult- uh, ex- ex- basically, it's ex- extensibility ultimately made you switch from 3 right. Edit, and I switched from TextMate. It really isn't. It's It's not a Mac app. And it can be frustrating in that regard, but it's so powerful. It's hard to use anything else.
1: Yeah, there's, there's, and I always, I put the prettiest girl at the dance thing in there because there's always been this like subset of Mac users who will like refuse to use a tool because it's like not, it's ugly or something. And i I have a little bit of that, but I'm not as I won't say I'm as bad as a lot of people. If something proves its utility, I'm more than willing to like deal with it. And I think Sublime Text 3, I think each iteration of it has become more Mac like despite it being like a cross platform app. Like I don't necessarily it's not like when I use Android Studio to like do Android development, like that feels like a Java app. That feels like something that is not entirely native to the platform. Sublime Text. Uh, yeah, it's got some different widgets and doesn't it's maybe not as nice looking as TextMate. But it's far more powerful, and when I, I used TextMate a little bit back in the TextMate One days, and then I assumed it was abandonware, and I went back to BBEdit, which I used forever. But then, as I started doing a little bit more web stuff, and especially a lot of more Ruby and Rails stuff, uh, BBEdit really started to feel like it was like falling behind in those aspects. And so that's when I gave Sublime Text a shot, and it was it's great. It's like it's it's the same thing as Dash. It's got it's got way more options than I will ever figure out how to use. I'm I use kind of the bare, uh, like I've customized the theme and I customize like a little bit of the text layout and I have maybe one or two plugins, but for more often than not, it's like, I just like being able to like drag a folder in there or I have, I still have, so I have a hard coded, uh, terminal shell th- uh, thing in my terminal shell where I actually type BB and then space period. And it opens up sublime text. Why is it <laughs> BB because of my muscle memory of doing the same thing in BB. Edit. I did that so with I just, mate. Yeah, so I just changed my symlink to open up uh, Sublime Text instead. I don't even know what their actual, I think it's like SUBL or something. Yeah, but. it's
0: SUBL, and I added one called SUBLP that'll search the current repository at the top level for a project file and open that instead, because if you use SLB, SUBL-P, it'll open it as a project, oh, and nice. then you can save your folder configurations and exclude files and everything. Yeah. See, I, I didn't, didn't even know you could do this. commands. And I also have way too many sublime text plugins i I think i I edit I add and remove plugins almost daily, Wow. Uh, partly especially because since three came out, there are a lot that don't work properly, so I'm constantly like weeding out uh, ones that haven't updated and anyway yeah and
1: this this is another thing getting back to Dropbox like I simlink all of that stuff on Dropbox and just it automatically picks it up under the hood
0: I do too, but I can't simlink the entire uh, app support directory things tend to break i only sync my packages installed packages and user folders
1: yeah i think that's what i'm doing as well
0: yeah all right i'm gonna you you have a lot on this list and i i recommend everyone uh go check out the original list at carpe slash tools is that right that's right all right, and uh, but I'm going to skip through to some that are of particular interest. Um, you use App Figures, and yes. you, it's a web service, right? Yes. See, I use um. What do I, I used to use? I only know these by my launch bar uh, shortcuts, so I can never remember the names. I currently use AppViz.
1: Uh huh. Um, oh, so you use one of the, like the local dedicated apps?
0: Yeah and they're slow takes a long time to update i'd love to just get an email summary every day which i think so th- ex- this is does. exactly
1: why i use app figures i used to use app Viz like way back when the app store launched and then app figures came out and it basically took what used to be an active thing of me having to remember to launch app Viz and sync all this stuff up and app figures was like well give us like 8 bucks a month and we'll send you an email every day of your sales and like your new user reviews uh, your ratings your ranks and it's just it shows up every single day. Like I log into the App Figures site, I think, once every quarter because I have to change my iTunes password. And since iTunes doesn't have any sort of uh, OAuth setup, I have to change the password that the App Figures guys knows as well. But yeah, it's one of my favorite utilities as an iOS and an OS 10 developer on the app stores because I get this email every morning that says, all right, this is how much you made in each of these apps. Uh, these two guys in uh, Belgium wrote a review for you. This guy in the U.S. wrote a review for you. And then every Sunday I get a weekly report that shows like how much money I made during the week and like gives a full summary instead of those daily reports. It's fantastic. I'm sw- uh, the I'm, other I'm stuff sw- they too. do is they have some stuff. Uh, so if you're – l- this is my full-time gig. So – I try to do a little bit more analytical stuff with my sales. Like, yes, I want to know that I'm making money, but I also want to kind of like be able to like track trends with that. So they have, AppViz may have this now, but I can set an event, so anytime that I do like a press blitz or I put out a new version, yeah. I create an event in app figures. and it's kind of like what Google Analytics does, yep. where you uh, can then annotations, yeah, yeah, with annotations, and then I can see like, all right, this is where I released Elements Two, or this is where I did a press blitz for Elements Two Five, and that kind of gives you like you can kind of understand what spikes you have going on. I real I emailed them last week and I said I would really like you guys to add a feature where you automatically create events. Uh, anytime that you detect that, uh, we've put out a new version so that I don't have to like actually go in there and just, all right, you see, there's a new version up, even if it's like two, five, one or two, five, two mark it in there as a custom event so that I can see if there's any sort of spikes on those like little point releases, or if there's just like only major spikes with major releases and stuff like that.
0: It should also watch for spikes and then send you an email saying, what was that? Yeah, exactly. Like being able to like by email and add an event. That'd be awesome.
1: The 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 benefit those guys have is uh, one they've built a really great service that works for like all the stores like it does, I think it does Windows Phone even but it does like Google Play iOS App oh, wow. Store or the Mac App Store but two is they can iterate and do all this stuff behind the scenes that a local app can't because they've got all this server power just processing and doing all this analysis for you and it's. It's one of those services that I've been paying for for years. Uh, the guys that run it are very responsive, like Ariel, who's their CEO, is a super smart guy, a real down to earth guy. Uh, if I give him a crazy idea, he's not going to like just like him and haul me along. He's going to like, eh, we're probably not going to do that anytime soon. Like, and I appreciate stuff like that. If it's something that's like not in your like roadmap, then just tell me like, that's awesome. Like I much, like I much more appreciate stuff like that than like, whenever I get like the canned response back from someone that's like, thank you for your feedback. Uh, we've added it to <laughs> our your feature message list. Been yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So no, I, I yeah, love figures is great. I love app this and it's very reliable, but I am, I am switching to this after the show. Like today. Um Nice. So next up that I I love, this is just, I'm going to agree with you. Code runner is, is just amazing. Yeah. Super, super handy.
1: Yeah. Code runner is great for any time that you want to do like a, like quick test of code, but that you run a run either like Pat paste into like a gist or post to like stack overflow or even to Twitter, just being able to like not have to open up a full on IDE to like get out an idea and make sure that it actually compiles. Um, somewhat related to it though, the same guy that does code runner, do you have his uh, patterns? app? Yes, I do. Yep. Yeah. Those two are, that guy is like building like the coolest developer tools. So if you, so code runner is basically, it'll run different, a variety of different languages of code and like you can compile it right there and make sure that it works. Uh, patterns, which is his other app has made me actually not hate and actually sort of (laughs) understand how to do regular expressions. Because basically all it does is it's got two text fields in it, and you can basically give it like cert, like source data. So it's like, all right, I've got all this data here. I'm going to paste it in there, and then in real time you can start constructing these uh, regular expressions and then see how they match up with your test data, and then. Once you find the actual regex that you want, you can then have it generate the code for you in like Perl or Ruby or uh, or an Objective-C. Whatever language that you want, it'll generate the uh, regular expression code that you would need to then paste into your uh, IDE or code editor or whatever it is. And that's, Both those apps are fantastic.
0: Yeah, Nick, I'm a big Nikolai Krill fan. Um, uh, Patterns is actually useful uh, for non-developer power users uh because you can do all kinds of there there are plenty of apps out there that'll take a regular expression for like batch file renaming
1: and yeah. if you don't regularly use do. them
0: yeah and if you don't regularly use regular expressions they are very intimidating patterns does it makes it easy i actually own five different regex testers i have oyster and i have uh uh regex rx and uh, regex match and all these uh but patterns is the easy patterns is the one i would recommend to uh, to everyone even non programmers
1: yeah patterns was uh so when sweetbot came out with their uh their mute filter stuff and they had the ability to do regexes it was it was heaven for me because my twitter name is actually just justin and so if you know me uh you or you don't uh, go on Twitter, search and do a search for at Justin and see <laughs> all the uh, misfire tweets that come all, at me. All the Justin Bieber stuff you get. All the Bieber and Timberlake stuff I get. <laughs> so being able to then set up a regex that like matches any variation or like misspellings of Bieber and p- pass that into Tweetbot, that was great. And that that was my impetus. Like, all right, I'm finally going to figure out how to do regex because I want to be able to like start filtering stuff on Twitter nice. and do a little bit more than just like hashtag filtering or specific words. Like I it, like I have a Bieber. Like I haven't. I think it's a, I have a GitHub repository of a bunch of different. Uh, mute filters let me find what it was it's a public one
0: well all right well you look for that and i'm gonna take a third sponsor break all right and uh, and we'll come back to that uh so our third sponsor today is shutterstock.com where you'll find over 28 million images stock photos vectors illustrations and 1 million video clips start your search at shucks st- <laughs> shucks stutter um that's that's apropos Uh, Start your search at Shutterstock.com to find that perfect image for your website, ad, publication, or any other creative project. Shutterstock.com gives you a global image collection to find images from around the world to suit your project. You can choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages. Choose whatever fits your need and never have to compromise. If you need just one image for your blog or mock-up, you can do that too. Every time you visit Shutterstock.com, you'll find something new since they add 20,000 images every day and 12,000 videos each week. It's more affordable than you think, too, with no extra charge for large files. Just download any image at any size and pay only one price. They don't nickel and dime you for high-resolution images. If you need them, you can just take them. Easily curate and share pictures via lightboxes. You can choose your favorite pictures or videos and add them to your own lightbox gallery as you search. You can also use your iPad app to do this. There's something called Enhanced License Access. If you like an image and you want to run it on print or swag for your trade shows, they can get you an enhanced license for any image. And they also have a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, and video clips if you ever need any of those. If you need help at Shutterstock.com, you can get an account rep dedicated to you who will answer any questions with 24-hour support during the week. Sign up for a free browse account at Shutterstock.com, no credit card required. When you find the images you like and decide to purchase, use the offer code DANSENTME1013 and get 25% off of any package you put together over at Shutterstock.com. All right. Did you find that gist or re- repository?
1: Yeah. So I have, if you go to github.com slash Justin slash silenced bots, all one word, I have a, it's a markdown file and it's full of a bunch of different regexes that you can use as mute filters in, uh, tweet tweetbot or anywhere else where you might want these regexes. So like I have one there for Justin Bieber, but then there's a couple of them, like there's one here that will filter sentence-based hashtags, uh tweets that have like three or more line breaks, uh tweets that like one guy has one here that tweets uh censoring of like if you try to censor a, a curse word with like star star or whatever, he go it, it'll filter it out so you don't have I guess this guy got, gets annoyed by seeing people filter or try to, like, mask their cursing. But there's all kinds of different uh, filters you can use in TweetBot there, which are probably going to be useful to a couple of people out there. I'd be willing to bet there's, uh, like, you could contract and,
0: uh, like, say, someone like Justin Bieber, who probably gets more annoying tweets than he can handle, would probably pay pretty well to be handed a set of regexes. To filter his stream. I I think you should start a company catering to the stars, just making tweet about regexes.
1: See, this this is this is this would possibly work out better than me trying to actually sell my Twitter name. <laughs> no one wants to pay my price. Uh one point two million dollars. Yes, there is everyone has a price, and so do I, and no one wants to pay it. <laughs> nice. All right. Um
0: Moving along let's see next on your list and mine is
1: committed uh, i'll let you explain what committed is okay so this is this is our uh, unofficial sponsor break uh, committed is uh, it's a Mac app I built about a year ago, I guess, and it was because I was working with I was working with some other developers at a place I was at, and I wanted to know when the Ruby guy would commit code for the backend that I was uh, building the iOS app for. And I didn't necessarily want to like have to like have him tell me every time he committed code or check GitHub. So I built this little Mac app that basically all it does is it runs in your menu bar and it iterates through each of the repositories on your account, either in your organization or your personal account, and you can then... Get a push notification on your, or I guess to, to be technical, it's a local notification on your Mac that says, hey, uh, Brett just committed code to this project, and then it has the commit message there. And then if you click on it, it opens it up in GitHub, and you can see the full diff of what happened. So again, it's, it's, gets back to my theme of like passively wanting to be notified of information. So I built a little tool. I sell it for five bucks because it doesn't, I think I sell maybe a couple copies a week, but the people that do have that need really love the app. And it's, it's totally a label label or a labor of love. I can't talk either for me because I use it every day. It's, I update it whenever I need new features in it. It's pretty much, I would consider it to be Almost feature complete there 's a couple of things I would want to do if I did a committed to, but the main gist of it is always going to be just like tell me whenever I get a code notification, throw it in notification center, and then let me open it up in Safari and see what it is Can it notify for pull requests uh, this, this is on that list of things that I want to add like I want to be able to add it, and it 's not that it 's relatively trivial for me to add these things, but like pull request uh, if someone files a new GitHub issue because I started using GitHub issues. Uh, and any other kind of data that's passed in through that stream, because all I'm really doing is using GitHub's API and like parsing out the JSON that they pass back, and then c- turning that into actual objects and notifications. So just th- I wanna, when I do those things, I want to do them right, and I know there's going to be people that, people that don't necessarily want that info, so like I've got to build up the preferences screen, yeah. and build all the checks in for that, and so, make,
0: make everything it, optional.
1: That's my, my approach. Yeah. Just make, because like there's some repositories that I probably don't want to see the GitHub issues on because it's like a bigger project that I don't necessarily care about, but there's some that I do want to see all of them or I want to see all the pull requests for it. So being able to do, to do that the right way is more important to me than getting it out quicker, which if someone comes in and like eats that market up, uh, they can have the three sales a week, but (laughs) it's a, it's a great app. I, I I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that you like it because that's it, like I said, it doesn't make any money hardly. It maybe pays for lunch once a week. But the fact that people tell me that they do enjoy using it, that, that's a really good feeling because that's the whole reason I built it was to scratch an itch for me. And if it scratches other people's itches too, awesome.
0: Nice. All right. So that's committed. It'll be at the top of the show notes. Um, related, have you seen – I noticed you use fog bugs, um, which we don't, we don't have to get too far into, but it's a good system. Um, have you seen – bug hub i think it's called yeah bug uh, hub. the github
1: cl- or the github uh it's bug an issues. App.
0: yeah it's an issues app that lets you manage github issues from a local native interface and i find it yeah really I, really handy
1: yeah i tried to use it it's uh it's almost there the guy that works on it though i'm pretty sure he's sunset both of the apps though because he's now working at google drats so uh, I, google I think he's everything. Well, I think he's trying to find a buyer for him, and I talked to him about it. And I was just i I didn't want to commit myself to, committed uh, commit myself <laughs> to actually building like this an issue tracker thing because uh, the developer tool business isn't as rich as I would hope it would be. Uh, Neither so it's, is the developer podcast business.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We've ruined this one. <laughs>
1: Go ahead. Sorry. Well, but but it's like one of those things is like. I can do committed as a labor of love because it's not that complex. I would, I use GitHub issues for some, like some things, but I don't use it for everything. So it's hard for me to kind of justify investing the time and resources on something that I'm not a hundred percent convinced is like a viable market for me. If, if it's something where like it was an, I, I tried to convince the guy to make both of them open source projects because I would be more than happy to dedicate some time to like improving and updating it going forward, but. Uh, See, if you're looking, if you want to, if you want to take it over, uh, give the guy a ring. I, I don't, I would, I would like you, uh, be
0: happy to contribute to an open source version, but, uh, but I switch to issues on GitHub for pretty much all of my open source support. Like yeah. I, I maintain uh, a tender account for Mark support and things like that. But, uh, but for my open source projects, instead of dealing with emails every day, I just have a text expander snippet that replies, please post your issue to the GitHub repository. And then I can I can view all issues from all repositories all at once in one place, but track them individually and people have a reference, everyone can see what other people have said. It just it's great for that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, that's not a bad idea. So how I handle my support is all my support goes through fog bugs. And uh, I pay, there's a service out there called aptfolk, A-P-T-F-O-L-K. And basically, uh, it's a guy named Ash Ponders on Twitter that runs it. But basically what he does is he's got all, like him and his little minions will go in and they will answer your support email. And they do it for a lot of like small to medium size like Mac and iOS development shops. Like I think the Tweetbot guys use them, I use them. A couple other guys do as well. And it's great Uh for me because uh, there's all these like support issues that you run into where it's like the same thing over mm-hmm. and over. And like time I'm spending answering those is time I'm not spending improving apps or like building new apps. So it's well worth the like couple hours a week that they spend going in and handling those for me. And then if it's a question that they don't, they can't answer or it's something that they think they want that I should see, they just pass it on to me. I love that. But, yeah. So, but like any open source stuff like you, I use GitHub issues to track like bugs for that. Uh, some of the newer stuff i'm trying to shift a little bit away from using fog bugs for my issue tracking because i am using github issues for some stuff it's not perfect but it's good enough and it's i'm I'm starting to hit that threshold of where like you get past the point where you if you start collaborating with people and you've already got somebody answering email and fog bugs your free startup and uh like startup edition is no longer free and it's you kind of jump <laughs> off a cliff. There's no like, there's no like ten dollar a month GitHub plan for uh, Fog Bugs. It's like it goes yeah. from like being free to being like a hundred dollars a month, and it's. Yeah. I like Fog Bugs. I don't like it a hundred dollars a month when I'm kind of just a small business that doesn't make like a hundred dollars a month is a big deal to Second Gear. Like, I, it's I, hard I, for I, me to justify spending that. Absolutely.
0: Um, my solution, by the way, for repetitive support requests, is the first time I answer something that I feel is probably going to be asked again. I use uh, text expanders, uh, create, and and this is this is free smile. Um, I use their create snippet from uh, the clipboard, so I'll just copy it and create a new snippet, and I won't label it. I'll just stick it into the library, and then I can hit Command Function One. I think that's a custom setting; it might not work for everyone. But I hit Command F1, and uh, a search bar looking like Spotlight pops up, and I can just search for the keywords in the issue. And just paste in the re- re- repetitive request. Yes, it still takes longer than having someone else do it for you. Yeah. But See, tender, that's, that's, tender's is awesome too, though, because it'll suggest posts based on the keywords that someone enters in the title and say, does this answer your
1: question before it makes them submit it? That yeah, helps. The, yeah, that helps too. <laughs> Yeah. I'm getting ready to release some new stuff. I promise guys that have been waiting for me to ship something forever. I'm getting ready to release some new stuff in the next, hopefully the next month. And it's made me also start to like re-examine how I handle support as, and if I want to keep doing it through fog bugs or if I want to use something like tender or help desk or whatever it is. Cause it seems like I started using fog bugs just like five years ago. So like the landscape of that stuff has completely changed in five years. It might be a good opportunity to kind of go back and see, all right, what, what's the new stuff out now? And is this better than the system I've got going now? Yeah. I, I have no complaints about tender. Um, I pay the
0: 20 bucks a month, 24, very gladly. It's, it's invaluable. Um, all right. So I'm going to jump ahead because we're at one hour right now and, uh, we both have lives. So, Speak for Um,
1: yourself, sir.
0: (laughs) I made an assumption. Made an ass out of me and Uma Thurman. Um, So, let's see. I highly agree with your picks uh, for Icon Slate, which is the best for creating ICNS files. Um, Image Optim is... I I have it in my drop zone. Like, I use it every time I have an image uh, that's going online or into an app. And Kaleidoscope is outstanding the latest version of kaleidoscope that can actually do merges and save them makes it just 100% awesome and then we already talked about patterns I was going to give you a chance to talk about uh, screen taker I've never used that myself
1: right so uh screen taker basically if you open the iOS simulator and you do command s in there it'll take a screenshot of the actual device or the actual screenshot of the image and save it to your desktop. Then with ScreenTaker, what you can do is you can then take that screenshot, drag it into the drop zone on ScreenTaker and then say, all right, I want this to be wrapped in like an iPhone 4S or an iPhone 5 or an iPhone 5S or 5C. Nice. And it puts a shell around that so you don't have to like open up Acorn or Photoshop or whatever and grab the PSD and insert it as like a layer object. It's a, if you want to have a quick way to do like maybe not something that you're going to put out as like marketing material, but you want a quick way to wrap something. In, like, an iOS frame, like, if you're sending it as, like, just, like, a cold call, email, or whatever, to say, hey, are you interested in this app? Let me show you what we've been doing. I can wrap it in that, and you can get a vi- really good visual of what it is. And it looks a little bit nicer than just sending, like, bland screenshots of just, like, the actual window itself. Is, uh, is there a reason not to use it for marketing material? Um, so, I use – I have a lo- lot of extra, like, little glosses and things on top for the marketing ones. Okay. So, I use – but that's pretty much the only way you could, if you want I go a little bit overboard with like my marketing stuff. Never hurts. Yeah. Never. It never in this, in this world, I got to do something to stick out because <laughs> there's a million apps. All right.
0: And then I, I totally agree with sketch. I actually talked about that on the last show with, uh, it was, I forget already. I'm really tired. It's not because they were not memorable anyway. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. Dan, is one Peterson. Of those Dan that... Peterson. I'm sorry, Dan. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sketch is one of those apps uh, that I just started using, oh God, maybe a month ago because I was running into an issue where the designer that I work with all the time is fantastic. His name is Jake Desaunier. Uh, But he's not full time for me. He's uh, he's got a full time gig uh, at a startup out in San Francisco. And so he kind of just like I'm his only other client. So he kind of fits me in when he's got time and isn't tired after work. And I don't like to like push on him and like say, hey, I need this really bad unless it's something that I can't do. And so I was like, I should figure out how to do like the low hanging fruit stuff, because it's a lot easier for me to like try to build this and then have him tell me what sucks, because he can type that a lot faster than actually building it. So for anything that is like like tab bar icons or toolbar icons or really basic stuff like that it's like i'm going to teach myself how to do that and sketch has made that ridiculously easy to do i i could never grok doing that stuff in photoshop but sketch feels like it was an app designed for anyone to do any sort of like mobile design or uh web design and there's there's a site called i think it's sketch what is it? Sketchmine.co that has a lot of like built-in templates that you can use as like the base for like an iOS seven design or an iOS six design or whatever it is. So you can like easily drag in a control that is already like built out the full keyboard for you or like a nav bar or a status bar. So it's a really great tool. Once you figure out to use it, it took me about a week to kind of get comfortable enough to like show somebody what I had built. I still won't. I'm no Dan Peterson whatsoever and I never (laughs) will be. And I, but if I can like, save my designer a couple hours and save myself a little money building kind of like the low hanging fruit ones. I think that's a win for me. And I think anyone that's a developer that wants to do a little bit of design. I think I'm one of those Like I, I don't think all developers should be like full designers. I think there's a very small subset that can be both, but I do think that every developer benefits from knowing enough design to be dangerous. And conversely, I think every designer uh, is well deserved or what's the word I'm looking for it's in their best interest to know enough development to be dangerous as well, because you can kind of speak the same languages and understand yeah. what you're saying instead of like talking past one another.
0: Same, same with web developers. I think, yeah, that applies to anything that builds front-facing interfaces. I think you need technical knowledge and design knowledge, even if it's if both aren't your job. I'm like half half of each and and good at neither, but master master of none, uh, jack of all trades, or whatever it is. Yeah, was that Jefferson? That no, was. I don't remember who said that, but exactly. Um yeah, I'm pretty much exclusively using sketch and acorn now. I have uh I have not opened Illustrator forever and I
1: rarely open Photoshop. Yeah, I don't use Illustrator that much. I open Photoshop every now and then just because like somebody will send me a PSD and it's easier. Yep. That's the only reason I still use it. Yep. It's got a lot, it's Photoshop to me has gotten to the and I'm I'm probably a minority in this cuz so many people still use it but to me Photoshop has gotten to that point where it's like Word documents mm-hmm. where it's like I only open it because someone else sends it to me. I don't necessarily use it myself.
0: Right. Well, and it's it's the industry standard just like Word and if you're going to work in the industry you kind of have to at least have it even if it's not your your go-to application. Definitely. All right. So moving along, um, I'm going to come back to one of these if we have time, uh, the the cloud app dropper comparison uh, that I'd like to discuss, but we're going to go so over time on this. Um, feeder is awesome. I've mentioned that as a top pick before. LaunchBar, I agree, is I, I want to love Alfred and I keep trying but I can't get away from basically muscle memory that I've developed over years of using LaunchBar.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I switched to LaunchBar after Quicksilver kind of died on the vine a couple of years ago. Yeah, and then too. I tried Alfred 2, and it was just, it didn't have the same. I went back to LaunchBar pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. And then you have an app called Marked 2 on here. That's a um, new one, yeah. I just started using that one like two weeks ago. <laughs> I, I'll have to put that in the show notes because I, I don't have time to. That's my app, uh, full disclosure, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, and I'll put the website so you can go find out what it is. And, uh, napkin is awesome. PDF pen pro is what I'm reading these notes in right now. Uh, RC default app. Uh, nobody knows about that app. I believe it's hit end of life, but I use it on all of my machines and you can use it to, uh, set basically what app is going to launch when I click this type of URL, this type of file. And it's, it's brilliant.
1: Yeah, I don't think oh God, I'm going to look. Let's see when the last time this guy updated this app. I've been using it since like 102. Yeah, the last time it was modified was uh, uh November of 2006. Yeah, but it still works. It still works. I actually haven't tested it
0: on Mavericks. I just updated on Mavericks, but I bet it does. I uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it still works and it's what yeah,
1: it's one of those tools that I've just, I've used for over a decade at this point it seems like and it's fantastic. Like it just it does one thing and it's a free app but it's way easier to do to do to like set those like preferences for file extensions and what you want to open it through that. than like trying to get the finder to remember every single instance of that. Absolutely. Um,
0: all right. So just, so everyone who's still listening, uh, which are probably all developers and super nerds, um, I have skipped about 20 things so far on this list that you should definitely go check out the real list and, uh, and see all of these, um, uh, I would love to have the audio uh, Spotify conversation. Um, but again, that's probably another show. Um, the unarchiver. Awesome. I, I use it completely and it's replaced the, uh, the built-in archive tool for me. And, and you use Twitter for Mac. I just, and, and I love Tweetbot, Uh, and I want to say that up front but I've switched back to tri- Twitter for Mac since upgrading to Mavericks just because it seems to function better. The scrolling is better. Uh, the stick to the top is better. I miss a lot of things about TweetBot right now, but Twitter for Mac is not a bad application.
1: Right. Once they fixed the fuzzy text thing on the Retina Macs about six months ago, I made the switch back too because TweetBot is really great on the Mac, but it's re- the performance is really kind of draggy. And for I'm not a hardcore Twitter user. I kind of just like whenever I want to be on Twitter, it's like I want to tweet something and then I want to check my replies, block any uh, Bieber people, (laughs) and then see kind of what my like timeline of 200 people have said in the past like couple hours and then kind of just close it off. So for me, as someone that's not like a heavy desktop Twitter user, I think most of my tweeting is done on my iPhone or my uh, HTC One. Like Twitter for Mac is perfect. I wish they would add a couple things to it to kind of like fill it out to match exactly what they do on the uh, desk or the iOS side. But it's one of those things where it gets 90% of the stuff done.
0: They're really obligated to add those features though, because they kind of screwed over all the third party developers that we would normally turn to. I think, yeah, uh, definitely. I think, I think they have a a moral imperative to at least meet parity with their own other apps. Um, then you talk about app.net too, where you use wedge and wedge is great. And it used to be my app of choice.
1: Have you tried Kiwi though? Uh, I've tried Kiwi. Uh, I used Kiwi back when it was a, a Twitter app too, but I, the, you, there's some UI stuff on it that bugs me. And See, I feel the I, same about wedge. I think wedge there's is some UI great stuff app, that bugs but... me on wedge too, but the stuff on wedge bugs me less. The, I think there's a really good market for a really good, let me rephrase that. I think there's a really good opportunity for someone to build an app.net client out as a passion project. I don't know if there's a market for it in terms of like making it your full-time gig at this point. But, Unfortunately, probably not. Yeah, but if you can make a couple grand a month by selling that and then getting like a decent chunk of change out of their developer incentive program, that's not a bad side gig. No, not at all.
0: I would love to see that happen. Um. All right, and then w- we made it to the last section, and this is your audio production section, and and we won't spend a lot of time on that, but I do, y- you mentioned the Icicle from Blue, and that is extremely handy if you want to use XLR microphones, like even, even outside of podcasting, uh, it's great for, I've, I've used it for all kinds of audio recording, it's good stuff, and uh, the Blue Bluebird. Is, how
1: how good a mic would you say that is? Do you have enough to compare to? Um, so I used to have it was a Shure, I can't remember what I had a sure before when I did radio, and the Bluebird I bought several years ago because I was going to be on I think MacBreak Weekly or whatever it was, and I needed a decent mic because I was going on the big big Mac show at the time, and so I bought this thing and I wanted an, I knew I wanted an XLR mic because I. Was like transitioning from doing radio to doing more podcast stuff, but I didn't want want to buy like a full like board and all like preamp and all that stuff. So the Bluebird was kind of the best mic that I found at that time that wasn't like ridiculously expensive. Like I think what is the one that everyone likes the gold one, the DSLR. Oh, the no, gold the, one, uh, the AKG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that's like four or five hundred dollars. Like I didn't want to spend that much money, but I was fine spending. I think this was like two hundred or two fifty. And it's, I've had it now for three or four years and it's fantastic. Like it still sounds as good as it is. It's cool looking. So it's kind of a conversation piece for your non-nerds that are coming in and seeing this boom mics on <laughs> your desk and this weird blue thing sticking out of it. I'm a big fan of this mic. I don't, I guess I'm assuming they're still producing it, but yeah, it looks like it's still for, that looks like uh, Amazon selling it for 279. So it was about 300 bucks when I bought it. So yeah, it's a great mic. And combined with the icicle, you get, like, uh, noise free recording from it. Yeah, pretty much. And the icicle has a built in preamp too, which is nice. The only problem I have with the icicle is, uh, so I can't hear my audio feedback in my headphones. So I, I'm hoping that you are, have adjusted my levels to the point where it's fine. (laughs) <laughs> but that's the one issue, and the other issue is that sometimes I have to like unplug my USB and plug it back in because the icicle kind of loses its connection to OS 10. I, I don't know same... if that's an OS 10 issue or an no. I think it's issue. a
0: blue issue. I have the same problem with the Yeti, and it doesn't happen with any of my other USB mics.
1: Okay, yeah but those are the only two issues I had. Ideally I want to get like some sort of like really small, like two input board or something just so I can hear my own audio and my headphones, because even like not having done a actual like radio production in two years, that's still something that bugs me that I can't hear my own feedback in my ears. Understood. I, uh, I like, I like microphones that have a, uh, pass through
0: like on the mic itself. That's very handy. um, all right. So then, you mentioned Skype and call recorder, which I think are mostly because they're defaults and have no alternatives. Um, call recorder is it's a Skype plugin that you can set to automatically record everything and everyone you talk to, and even video from Skype. And if you're not a podcaster, you may not have heard of it. Um, there are other solutions like uh, like Audio Hijack Pro and uh, PSO. But Call Recorder is so integrated and so reliable for me that uh, I would recommend it to everyone, even if you're not. It's great for note-taking. Set it to like uh, low audio quality so that files don't take up much room. And then uh, you can just record every like business call you have so that you can refer to it later. I think that's technically illegal uh, unless you reveal that you're recording the call. But I would like to publicly reveal to everyone who's ever called me on Skype that I, I record your conversation. All Of it, wait, we're recording this. Oh, I forgot to tell you. I'm sorry. Oh, man. All right. Well, that's that's the end of the ones that I've highlighted. Uh, you also mentioned Audio Hub on here. What it's, uh, it's it's a dead app. Uh, I assume it's still working great, but
1: it's still working. Wait, I don't think you can even download it at this point. I have like an archive up on like Amazon S3 of like the last binaries that were sent out for it. And it's do you remember the app Visual Hub? Oh, yeah. So the guy that made Visual Hub made Audio Hub too, And then when he got tired of being a Mac developer, he basically <laughs> killed both of them. And I, I, sw- I found a decent replacement for uh, Visual Hub, but I haven't found any that suit me perfectly for audio yet. And all I use Audio, audio Hub for is like, Whenever I do these recordings, it saves them as like uh, MOV files. And then I use call recorder to split it, which turns it into, I think waves or MP3s. And then I want to convert from like wave to MP3 or something like that. I get MP4s from my, when I split the call recorder movie, but yeah.
0: Um, what was it? So say? there was oh.
1: one, there's one I tried to, I tried called audify a U D I F Y yeah. on the Mac app store. It's the closest to being a decent replacement for uh, Audio Hub that I've found. This is, it's another one of those apps where it's like I wish someone would really come in and like, do a complete modern clone of Audio Hub. But I don't know how much money there is in that market unless you can sell it for like 50 bucks to like, just a couple audio professionals <laughs> and sell a couple copies a day. But
0: um, What did you replace uh, Video Hub with? I used uh, Permute.
1: Permute, yeah, I used Permute. Uh, Permute's pretty, pretty slick. All yeah, right. those you guys. I wish they would make a uh, an audio version.
0: Make they should. Make very happy.
1: I'm sure there's something out there. It's just buried in the App Store somewhere. If someone has anything, please uh, send me a tweet at uh, Justin on Twitter. I would love to know. Awesome. All right. Um, guess what? What? We have a
0: fourth sponsor today. All right. Let's hear it. Uh, Shopify. Shopify is a hosted e-commerce solution that allows you to set up and run your own online store in minutes. Pick a template, add your products, pick your payment processor, including uh, PayPal, Stripe, Authorize.net, and ship your stuff with just a few clicks. With Shopify, it's easy to sell online, and there's no software to download, host, upgrade, or maintain. Pick from over 100 professionally designed e-commerce templates, or you can create your own with full control over the HTML and the CSS. There are no bandwidth limits and no need to worry about scaling when your store becomes popular. And it will. Every Shopify store is level one PCI DSS compliant and totally secure. And no, I still don't know what PCI DSS stands for, but it sounds really impressive. Um, Wait,
1: didn't I plug in like video cards with PCI?
0: Yeah. No. Was it? I'm, I'm only thinking of PCP, which is different. Um, (laughs) Wait,
1: that's not something computer related, is it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, It depends on what you do with your PCP, I guess. But um, Shopify has announced their Shopify POS point of sale. I really should just because POS has connotations to me, but um, it's an iPad application to let you sell your Shopify stores products in a physical retail setting. It's quick and easy. Browse your stores catalog, pick a customer's products, swipe their credit card and print the receipt or send it through email. You can automatically sync products and orders, and there's only one dashboard to manage all of your retail and online stores. Get the Shopify point-of-sale hardware, which includes a credit card reader, a cash drawer, an iPad stand, and a receipt printer. Order online, and shipping is free. And I love stores that use iPad uh, as their cash register. It's And then they turn around, you can sign. on. The, I love it. Um Visit shopify.com slash five by five and you'll get three months for free. Check them out today. All you need is something to sell. Okay. We're at one minute and one hour and 17 minutes barring any edits that I do, which is possibly other than a show with Merlin. Uh, you, you've, you've been on my longest show. Oh, great. Well, if you put me and Merlin in a room together, I'm pretty sure we could talk for three hours. Easy. Uh, it would be hard to find someone that Merlin could not talk to for three hours. This is true. He he's he, he can converse with just about anybody about just about anything. Anyway, uh, let's see. You're Justin on Twitter and app.net. Yep. I can't believe you scored a first
1: name only on both. I'm like you. I have like I think my user number on Twitter is like under a thousand. I think it's like nine twenty nine wow. or something. Wow, I'm in the hundred
0: thousands, but there's a million now, so that's still pretty good. But yeah, you you, you jump on things fast because you got Justin on uh, GitHub too, right? Yep. Everywhere. TT scoff works. No one ever takes that. But getting Brett, I'd be impressed if I ever got Brett. All right. And then you have a, a personal website at carpeaqua.com.
1: Yep. C-A-R-P-E-A-Q-U-A. Sorry, you can't spell that easily, but yeah, carpeaqua.com. Seems
0: phonetic to me. Um, and then your your commercial software is at secondgear. secondgearsoftware.com. Yes, sir. And that will all be linked in the show notes. You can find Justin easily from
1: there. And And if you can't spell any of that or you forget it, just look up Justin on Twitter and there's links (laughs) in my profile and it'll take you wherever you want to go. You're the first
0: person I've ever heard use uh, Twitter as their go to contact point.
1: I don't have business cards. If someone wants like, do you have a business card? I was like, remember my first name, go on Twitter, you'll find me and then you can figure out how to contact me. (laughs) Nice.
0: Nice. I have a, a. business card that has a QR code that I regret making but I pointed it to an address that I can easily redirect to anywhere and uh, and I just I still hand those out to people who ask no one ever asked me though I don't leave the house enough to get asked for a business card
1: I know that's why I don't have business cards because it's like maybe twice a year that someone (laughs) wants one so why make them
0: yeah at WWDC and possibly at Macworld all right all right well that's that's systematic what are we on 68 Um, and thank you Justin for taking uh, a a long time to be here no problem happy to be here anytime and I am a tt scoff as I mentioned everywhere and you can find me blogging at com, and doing uh, really um, annoyingly crazy things with code and I I what I just lost my train of thought five seconds before the end of the show what'd you do with it You should just cut it off right now and let people wonder what you're thinking. (laughs) Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see everybody in a week.